0: Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Epic Pencil, a weekly venue for writing and writers. I'm your host, Chris Watson. I'm glad you can join me for this week's episode, Murder Most Foul. I have a framed picture somewhere in my house. It's a montage of photos that my late grandmother made for me on my 20th birthday. It had pictures of me at school and at the holidays and, and more from the time I was a little boy through my 20th birthday. There was one thing in that montage that wasn't a photo, though. It was a handwritten business card advertising my services as a detective for the cost of 25 cents a day. This addition of the timeline clearly illustrates two things. First, I hadn't learned that plagiarism was bad when I was 7 or 8 and shamelessly ripping off Donald J. Sobel's Encyclopedia Brown series. And second, that I was already obsessed with reading mystery stories. That obsession has continued throughout my life. If I close my eyes and think about it, I can fill a library with all the mysteries that I've read. I've read the classics by Edgar Allan Poe and most of Agatha Christie's stuff. There were sci-fi mysteries like Asimov's Caves of Steel and the Follow-On Robot Mysteries, Inspector Jury and Melrose Plant Mysteries by Martha Grimes, all of which are named after taverns and inns and bars in England. And I read probably the first ten or so before they started to get a little bit too oh, repetitive for me. And more recently, I've been reading the stellar Walt Longmire series by Craig Johnson that takes place in Wyoming. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And the Billy Boy World War II series by James R. Ben, which is absolutely phenomenal. So it seemed only fitting that I consider trying out writing a mystery for myself. So I've recently kicked off my as-yet-untitled mystery But it already ties in with some other pieces I've written, most particularly Phantasmagoria. This new mystery is contemporary and takes place in Shelton's Cove, Maine, where Jeff McLernan, the great-grandson of Hattie McLernan from Phantasmagoria, is now a police officer. I'm going to share the first part of the first chapter, and I'd love to get your feedback, which you can always get to me through my website, pretendingtowrite.com. Somehow, it didn't seem right that the day was this beautiful. Not as I sat in silence on Grammarie's deck, looking at the corpse of Melanie Buck. She lay there, unmoving and uncaring that this was the first truly beautiful day of the summer. In the bright sunlight, the red blouse and blonde hair had stood out in the clear blue water. I'd rounded into the wind, drifted down slightly until I could secure the body with the boat hook. It wasn't until I had placed her on the deck that I recognized her. I had seen Melanie just the other morning buying groceries at Packard's. I idly wondered if she had been alive to appreciate this morning's spectacular sunrise. I reached into the first aid kit beside me and slipped on a pair of latex gloves. I quickly checked her pockets and found nothing but some wet, wadded tissue, which I dropped into a plastic bag. She wore no earrings or necklace today, and with a start I realized that her mother's bracelet, which I had never seen off her wrist, was nowhere to be found. There was nothing more I could do out here. Melanie Buck, who had been looking forward to sailing with me on Gramary this summer, would finally get her trip. Unfortunately, it would be one way back to shore. Using a spare poncho as a shroud, I shielded her from the spray and curious eyes. I brought Grammary out of irons and turned towards town. Switching channels on my VHF, I picked up the mic. Harbor control, harbor control, this is the yacht Grammary over. There was a pause, and then... Grammarie, this is Harbor Control. Go ahead, Jeff. Martha, please tell the chief and Henry to meet me at town dock in 15 minutes with a wagon. I've got a 1032 on board, Caucasian female, age 34, positive ID established. Another pause. Understood, Jeff. Harbor Control, out. I replaced the handset and concentrated on bringing Grammarie and Melanie Buck back to shore as quickly as possible. It's a bit cold to be sitting on the beach, isn't it? I asked her the first time I saw her. It's a bit cold for a run on the beach, isn't it? She replied, hardly looking at me. I could tell nothing of her, bundled as she was in a dark green, puffy L.L. Bean down parka, hood, hat, thermal pants, and monster gloves like oven mitts. Are those your dogs? Yeah, I said. Could you please take them away? They're frightening the seals. I glanced out across the heaving sea. The late December storm had blown itself out overnight. Dark gray clouds still scudded across the horizon, and the wave tops were lashed by gusts of biting wind. I'm sorry. Where were they? She sighed. Over there, and gestured off slightly to the right. Your dog scared them off. I whistled three sharp cracks. Jasmine and Cuff stopped harassing a beach jellyfish and trotted obediently to my side. Is this okay? I guess so, though. They'll probably bark again. I smiled slightly and tried to peer around the fuzzy hood of the parka. Would you mind if I stayed to see if they reappear? An almost imperceptible shrug and a muffled, I don't care, were all the response I got. I decided to take that as a scent and crouched down, ruffling the scruffs of the two dogs. After a few minutes, the cold started to settle into my limbs and face, my winter running gear not being well-suited to hanging out motionless on a main beach at the end of December. I was about to give up on the seals when I spotted a small gray head, well camouflaged against the gunmetal seas. I leaned slightly forward and raised one hand. There's one. The shrouded head turned slightly and nodded, presumably when she was able to see the seal. Harbor seal, she replied. Foca, Vigilina, Order, Pinipeda, Family, Fossidae. She looked at me in confusion, displaying a wide mouth and two pale blue eyes. Excuse me? Sorry, I said, feeling sheepish. Uh, the benefits of a misspent education. What did, did you just say? <laughs> Nothing. It was just the scientific name for harbor seals. It's in any dictionary. It's no big deal. Starting to feel like an idiot, I stood. I'm sorry to have disturbed you. Oh, it's all right she said in a tone that clearly indicated that it wasn't without another word she turned back to the seals i stood there for a moment and then continued my run jasmine and Cuff by my side before i rounded the small point to the south and turned up into the woods i glanced back the bundled woman still sat on the beach braving the december chill and the flying spray I was sitting in the Land Ho Bar and Grill that evening prior to the start of my Christmas Eve midnight shift. Billy Hanscom polished the beer for what seemed like the tenth time in the past ten minutes. Things were usually slow in the cove during the winter. The tourist trade wouldn't pick up and triple the population until mid-May. In the interim, the 5,000 year-round residents enjoyed the quiet, and Billy usually wore off a coat or two of varnish from the long wooden bar through his incessant polishing. I sat in a booth off to one side, bent over a book as I ate. I heard the door swing open, followed by a rush of cold air and a polite greeting from Billy. Obviously not a regular, I thought, otherwise Billy's greeting would have been more effusive. Footsteps moved toward the bar, stopped, and slowly, almost tentatively, made their way toward me and then stopped. Foca vicilina. I glanced up in surprise, looking into two pale blue eyes and a wide mouth. "'This time, however, there was no parka hood obscuring the blonde hair. "'Good evening,' I said. "'Am I disturbing you?' "'I sat up straight, closed my book, and shook my head. "'No, please have a seat,' I said, and gestured toward the bench across from me. "'Thank you,' she replied, and removed her puffy green jacket and sat down. "'I'm new around here and don't know anyone yet. "'You're practically the only person I've met.' "'Yeah, the cove is pretty barren during the winter.' I leaned forward and extended my hand. Jeff McClernan. She shook my hand with a firm, confident grip. Melanie Buck. Pleased to meet you, I said. And I'm sorry if I bothered you this morning. I hardly ever see anyone else on the beach at that time of day, especially at this time of year. I needed some time to collect myself. The holidays are always difficult, she replied quietly. I apologize if I was rude. Billy appeared at the booth. Evening. He drawled, "What can I get ya?" "'A beer, whatever you got on tap,' she glanced at me. "'Do you want one?' "'I pulled my fleece jacket to the side, exposing my police star. "'Thanks, but I've got the Christmas Eve shift. "'We've had reports of a jolly old elf breaking and entering all over town. "'Here's a menu,' said Billy. "'We don't really have any specials tonight, but since business is so slow, "'I could fix you up something different if you can't find anything you want.' "'Thank you,' she said, and Billy went off to pull her a beer. "'I looked at her curiously. What brings you to the quaint seaside town of Shelton's Cove in late December, Melanie Buck? I was looking for some peace and quiet. Glancing around the empty room, I grinned. You probably couldn't have done any better. The Cove shuts down outside tourist season. Not many people want to be here during the winter. That's what I liked about it. Quiet. Not busy. She nodded thanks to Billy as he brought her a tall glass of Allagash House Beer. A thick silver band gleamed on her wrist. That's quite a bracelet, I said. She glanced down. Yes, it belonged to my mother. I looked more closely. Amid the patterns, I could see a phrase inscribed, Mea es ultio. I glanced up. Vengeance is mine? That's quite a message to wear around your wrist. In reply, she simply sipped her beer, gave me a hint of a smile, and glanced down at the menu. Dr. Henrietta Carpenter and my uncle, Todd McLernan, chief of police for Shelton's Cove, were waiting for Gramory, Melanie Buck, and me on Town Pier. I brought the boat alongside the wooden pilings under power, having furled the main and jib on my way into the harbor. I tossed the dock lines to my welcoming committee. As soon as Gramory was secured, Uncle Todd and Henry stepped onto the deck. Without a word, I led them to the foredeck and crouched beside the shrouded body, Seeing that they were already wearing gloves, I pulled on a new pair for myself and removed the makeshift shroud. It's Melanie Buck, I said. She was floating a quarter mile northeast of Kid's Mound. Writing a good mystery is tough. The mystery should, theoretically, be solvable if people are really putting the clues together and the solution needs to make sense. It feels like a ripoff if you get to the end and the murderer is someone out of left field. I remember watching a murder mystery called The January Man with Kevin Kline and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, and the whole movie seemed to have been created just as a means of showing off the clever way the serial killer was finding his victims. But at the end, when the bad guy is caught and somebody asks Kevin Klein who he is, he replies, spoiler alert, that he's a nobody. Someone we've never seen before in the film. Ugh, what a cop-out that was. But it also can't be too easy to solve. And that's where I am right now with this project. I've got the place, the people, I've managed to kill off two of them, and I have an idea of why at least the first one is dead, but I'm still building the architecture. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do it when you're writing a mystery, but ah, what the hell. I'll get to the end somehow, and it'll be a fun journey along the way. Be sure to check in on my website, PretendingToWrite.com, from time to time, as I'm sure I'll be sharing updates and excerpts as I go. Thanks again for joining me. The Epic Pencil will return next week, and in the meantime, I hope you curl up with a great murder mystery. And remember to support your local, independent booksellers. The Epic Pencil is copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.